0: Our second scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, "'Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble.'" be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. If there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending the sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you think that the slave do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have only done what we ought to have done. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Now we have to talk about it again. I have to say, I love, love that anthem. I heard it for the first time at the chapel at Princeton Seminary. Every December, the choir puts on a service called Carols of Many Nations, where they sing Advent and Christmas songs from around the world, and Scripture is read, and prayers are offered in many different languages. It is a really beautiful and moving service. And I know that I wouldn't be the only Princeton Seminarian to say that it is really one of the best things we did as a community. And it wasn't just because that song was sung so beautifully that it stuck with me. The December that I heard it was about a month before I myself would be in South Africa. I would be walking through the Apartheid Museum and standing in front of the cell that Nelson Mandela occupied on Robben Island and meeting folks who lived and fought through the ugliness and hatred of apartheid. I love that anthem because it reminds me of a time and a place where I learned perhaps the greatest lessons I've ever learned about faith and forgiveness and hope. And those things, I think, are what we find in today's lessons. The seventeenth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, these ten verses, they sort of fall into these four separate sayings or proverbs that could quite easily be read and understood as separate from the others. I mean, this section of Luke's gospel is, the heading is some sayings of Jesus, and that's really what they are. They're are four sayings or instructions that could genuinely stand on their own. Woe to anyone who causes another to stumble. Hold one another accountable, and if there is repentance, forgive. Imagine what you could do with the faith of a mustard seed and do what is expected of you." These are distinct proverbs that aren't necessarily contextually bound. One commentator wrote that the preacher and teacher would not violate any one of these teachings by lifting it from its present location and listening to it separately. In fact, the lectionary of today's gospel uh, reading excluded the first four verses of the chapter. But I think that context is important to this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. For example, the first four verses of the chapter explain why it is that the disciples need more faith, why they ask for Jesus to increase their faith. It's about being asked to forgive, about living in community, looking out for one another, and forgiving folks. And more than that, I think there is a pretty reasonable flow to these distinct sayings of Jesus, and I think there's a connection to be made. In any life, in any community, opportunities for sin abound, but don't tempt one another into sin. Try to treat one another well. Hold each other accountable, and allow yourself to be held accountable, which is my least favorite, because while I can manage to tell someone else what they're doing wrong, I really hate to have someone else tell me about my business. We're never going to get everything right, and so we do our best to be good to one another and to help others do the same, and then when we do sin, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, and we hold others to account as well. And then if they change their ways, if they repent, if we repent, we forgive, always, over and over again, even to the absurd amount of seven times a day, which is hyperbole, not prescription, just continue to forgive. And as I said before, the command to forgive is what prompts this disciple's request for increased faith. Holding each other accountable is really hard, and forgiving each other is even harder. And the disciples have this assumption that all of this will be easier if they have more faith, but newsflash, it won't be. There is danger in reading this text from Luke and leaning heavily on this idea of faith the faith the size of a mustard seed. It starts to give this impression that faith will fix everything and that faith is somehow a currency, right? If you are able to do these things, follow these proverbs, to listen, to not lead others to sin, to hold yourself and others to account and then to forgive, then you must be some kind of superhero of the faith. You must be overflowing with faith. You must have like two whole mustard seeds worth of faith. You must have this great wisdom and be held in some place of honor, but that's not really the case. If you are doing all of these things and you're following all of these sayings of Christ, applying them to your life, you're just doing what God expects from you, which is what that last proverb is about. And honestly, just doing that is hard enough. That, of course, points to this other danger here, the idea that increasing our faith or having faith like a mustard seed means that anything we want to happen will, in fact, happen. If you have enough faith, then you should be able to do the miraculous, heal the sick, achieve world peace, fix the broken places in your life, etc., And if you can't do those things, it's because you are not faithful enough. Yikes. The truth is, faith is not a commodity to be gained or to be lost. It is a way of living. We choose a life of faith, which means we're going to do all of these things that God asks of us. And it isn't easy, and it isn't glamorous, and we're not always going to get it right. But it's the life to which we have been called. The economy of faith is not something that is stored or stockpiled, it is lived out. We cannot exchange faith for blessings, we just have to live, proclaiming the truth and hope of the thing that we believe in with our very lives. Think about the prophet from our first Scripture lesson. The prophet has seen some stuff. His life and the lives of his people have been hard, and as we can see, from our reading, he has stuff to say about it. He cries out to God, and in the moment, Habakkuk, it seems pretty hopeless. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes perverted. It is a bleak picture, to be sure, and I'm sure that the prophet if he had enough faith, faith like a mustard seed would do anything he could, right, to change it. But then, you know, at some point, something changes for the prophet. At the top of the very next chapter, the prophet is standing firm, right? The Lord responds to the prophet, and the prophet says that he will stand firm in his faith and belief that something is coming, that some good is coming, and that a change will happen I will stand at my watch post, he writes. And then the Lord instructs him, write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is a vision, for an ap- there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it does not lie. This dream, this vision, this hope you have for the future, don't abandon it. In fact, write it down. Make it real and make it public so that anyone who passes by can see it. Let people know what you're waiting for and working for so that maybe they'll join you in making these things the way we believe they ought to be. Faith for Habakkuk is standing firm in this promise he believes is coming. And so I'm sure maybe all of this is starting to sound just like a little bit Adventy to you. I mean, of the Father's love begotten, part of our anthem is in fact an anthem song or an Advent song, and I'm kind of sorry, but also not. Um, because if if you're hearing Advent message in this, it means that you're paying attention. And I know that we've got a little bit of time before Advent starts, thank goodness. Um, But the truth is that Advent, it's always in the air. Whether it is liturgically correct or not, we are always waiting, waiting for the work of God in Jesus to be completed, for creation to be restored, and for the kingdom of God to be here and now. I mean, we pray for that every single week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're all waiting. Habakkuk was waiting. The people of South Africa were waiting. And we are called to live these lives of faith, to stand at our watchpost with our vision posted clearly so that a runner can see it, to live into the hope that God can and is working in the world and that we too as people of faith are working to enact the very will of God. Today is World Communion Sunday, a day when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, tasting that kingdom that is and is also yet to come, and we do so alongside our brothers and sisters in all places uniting ourselves as one body, regardless of language or skin color or geographic location. That, in and of itself, is enacting a pretty faithful, hopeful vision posted for all to see. But, you know, last week I learned something else about World Communion Sunday that I, that I didn't know, and it makes it, for me, all the more important. The tradition of World Communion Sunday was started by the Reverend Hugh Thompson Kerr in 1933 and Reverend Kerr was the pastor of the Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was, for him, an attempt to bring churches together in a service of Christian unity in which everyone might receive both inspiration and information and, above all, to know how important the Church of Christ is and how each congregation is interconnected with one another. Reverend Kerr's son wrote this about the first few years of World Communion Sunday. The concept spread very slowly at the start. People did not give it a whole lot of thought. It was during the Second World War that the Spirit caught hold because we were trying to hold the world together. Worldwide communion symbolized the effort to hold things together in a spiritual sense. It emphasized that we are one in the spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1940, the Department of Evangelism of the Federal Council of Churches, which was a predecessor to the National Council of Churches, promoted extending the celebration to a number of churches around the world and the practice became widespread and today World Communion Sunday is celebrated around the world. Reverend Kerr, he he and his congregation had a vision, they had this hope. Their faith compelled them to act, and today we continue to live into that vision of unity and peace in Jesus Christ, all of those things that we find at the table. It isn't perfect by any means, and perhaps It would be easy to say that not much has changed for the better since Reverend Kerr began this practice. But you know, we still come to the table. We still come together. The world may be broken, but hope is not crazy. I think it can be really easy to, and is often our practice, to look for excuses for why we can't live a faithful life. We can't give because we don't have enough money, We cannot help because we don't have enough time. We cannot forgive because we don't have enough faith, but God has given us everything that we need. God has given us a hope and a vision. And so the question is, what are we doing with what we have? If we have more than a mustard seed of resources, of time and faith, we can move the world. So what is our vision? What is the vision, the hope that we have for the world? What do we want to post so that the runners can see it? Once we have been fed at this table, where will all our hope and our faithful action lead us? Amen.